We're going to read uh, from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And uh, just like we always do, I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand just out of reverence for uh, the Word of God today. Mark writes this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Well, this is a, this is a very interesting miracle. Uh, this miracle at first glance is very similar to uh, all the other miracles that we've been seeing Jesus work up to this point uh, in Mark's gospel. Uh, there are a lot of similarities between what we just read and, and just the previous miracles uh, recorded uh, for us. And so let me, give you, let me give you some of those similarities. I think the first thing that you notice about this miracle is that a group of friends take their helpless friend and they bring him to Jesus in the hopes that Jesus uh, would, would heal him. And, and that's exactly what happens. So, so that we, there's a compassionate group of, of friends here and, and uh, they, they bring uh, you know, their, their blind friend to Jesus. We've seen that before in the gospel. So that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a common occurrence that we see in the miracles of Jesus. And then secondly, you'll notice uh, in the miracle that we just read that Jesus did not heal him publicly. That Jesus took him, took him off by himself away from the crowds and healed him privately. And so it wasn't that Jesus didn't do miracles publicly. He did. But for the most part, what we see is, is Jesus really working one-on-one with people uh, in the privacy of just between them. And, and so that's exactly what happens with this blind man. Third, you'll notice that uh, Jesus uses spit to heal this man's eyesight. And uh, certainly that is very unique to uh, Jesus' miracles, but it's not even the first time we've seen that in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus has done that before, certainly. And so the natural question would be, well, why in the world would Jesus use spit? I mean, what's the significance of that? Um, and, And one commentator suggested that what we're seeing in the text is both the humanity of Jesus and his divinity. So what you're seeing here is a picture of the supernatural clothed in the natural. You're, you're seeing a picture that Jesus was fully human and at the same time fully God. And there's tremendous mystery around that. Fourth, we see that Jesus actually heals the blind man. So this is, this is another example in our series of the lion roaring, right? We see Jesus is the sovereign of the universe. He has, he has power over the demonic. He has power over disease. He has power over death. And certainly blindness is nothing for Jesus and, and Jesus heals him. And then last, which is very, very common for Jesus, you see that Jesus tells him to, to, to not tell anybody, to not go back into town and, and just to kind of keep things quiet. So, so that's, that's very consistent with how we've seen Jesus operate up to this point. So when you read through this miracle, you see that it's very similar to so many other miracles that, that Jesus has done. 
but there's one exception. There's one thing in this miracle that's very unlike anything else that we've ever seen. There's one outstanding detail. And what is it? It's the fact that Jesus healed him in stages. Did you notice that? And, uh, and so what Jesus does is he, he takes this blind man uh, brought by his friend and, and he, he spits on his fingers and he touches the man's eyes. And like a cosmic optometrist, he asks him, how about now? Do you see anything now? And, uh, and the man responds to him by saying, well, I can see, but it's like trees are walking. You know, it's, it's a little blurry. And uh, if you ever say that to your eye doctor, you need a new prescription. That's what I do know. And so, and so what Jesus does is he touches him again. And this time his sight is completely restored. And uh, he sees perfectly and clearly. We've, we have never seen that happen before. And uh, it's just very interesting detail in this. Now, I, I think we can all agree that Jesus wasn't, you know, having a bad day. You know, it was not, it was not like... You know, he just didn't have the power to get it the first time, you know, so he had to go back and ask again or whatever. And, and uh, you know, Jesus obviously could have healed him the first time. So then the question becomes, well, why did Jesus do it this way? What's Jesus' point or message in this? And I think that's exactly what the commentators uh, that, that at least I looked at said, that Jesus is really doing an object lesson for the disciples here. He's really wanting to send a message to them and to us. And uh, you ask, well, what's the point? You know, what's the message that Jesus wanted to send? And I think it's pretty simple. I think it's this. I think what he's trying to communicate to the disciples then and to disciples today is that change takes time. Change takes time. If you look at this passage and you read the context of it, if you read the section right in front of it, it's, it's very much connected to what we just read. Because what Jesus says to his disciples is how is it that you have eyes, but you still can't see? And how is it that you have ears, but you still can't hear? How is it that you have been with me all of this time? You've seen my miracles. You've heard me teach. You've observed my life. And yet you still don't have understanding. How is that? And what we see in this passage is Jesus basically answering his own question. Basically what Jesus is saying is he's saying that the reason why you can't see, the reason why you don't understand is because change takes time. And so, and so, Really, then the question becomes, what kind of change is Jesus alluding to? What kind of change are we really talking about here? And I think there's, I think there's two types of change that I, I really want to talk to you about today. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, uh, write this down. It, it, it's this, that the journey to faith, the journey to faith takes time. That's what we see. I think that's what he wants to communicate here, that the journey to faith takes time. Clearly, it took time for people in Jesus' day to come to see that he was the Messiah. It was a process. It didn't, it, it didn't happen overnight. And when you notice the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the, the teachers of the Jewish law on that day, for the most part, they were very antagonistic towards Jesus. And they maintained that antagonism all the way to Jesus' death. 
And, and many of them just simply refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But what's interesting is if you go to the book of Acts after Jesus' death and resurrection, many of the Pharisees, many of the priests uh, came to faith in Jesus. And it just reminds us that the journey to faith takes time. Now, when, you, when you're you know, looking at the lives of the disciples and you can track them through all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you see, you see that you know, they see Jesus a little bit, but even for them, Jesus is kind of blurry. I mean, they really don't, they, they, they really just struggle to get it. And, uh, and, and so this is a process that we see that it's, that it's really a journey that takes time to come to faith in Jesus. And, and the truth of the matter is, today it's, it's no different. No one is born into this world with saving faith. No one steps into this world and breathes their first breath as, as a Christian from the, from the very get-go. I, I think what we see is that every single person, you know, every single person is on a journey to Christ. And that journey is a process over time. I, I, I've shared, you know, my story of, of my journey with you, with, with you many times. I, I grew up in South Alabama. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, we never read the Bible together. We never prayed together as a family. We did go to church because that's what you do down south, but we only went to church on Christmas and Easter. And uh, what was interesting is I had a basic understanding of who Jesus was. Like I, you know, just being in that culture and, and, and going to church a couple of times a year, I understood that Jesus died and he rose. I didn't know why. And I certainly didn't know Jesus. I just knew about him uh, just from a distance. But in the spring of 1983, that, all of that changed for me. I was in middle school and I was reading a book that explained the gospel. And the book explained that every human being has a sin problem, that sin separates us from God, that sin brings with it a penalty. It brings with it judgment from God. Because what sin really is, is rebellion against God. And, and so it explained that every human being has this sin problem. But God sent his son to pay our penalty for that sin. That the son would pay the penalty in my place. That he would be my substitute. That he would die the death that I should have died. And he sent his son and the son came because he loved me. He died for me. And, uh, and it was as if when I read that, and I'm just a, you know, a little middle schooler, you know what I mean? I'm just, just, just figuring the world out a little bit. But, but church, that day, it was, like, it was like the cosmic optometrist said, can you see me now? Can you see anything now? And I'll tell you, church, that day, for the first time in my life, I saw clearly God's love for me and the son's sacrifice for me on my behalf. And I committed my life to Christ to him that very day. Now that's my journey. And I share that with you just simply to say that the journey of faith, the journey to faith really takes time. In fact, I, I, I kind of did a little math. I, I, I roughly estimated that it took, it took my journey, it took me 4,745 days to complete that journey to faith. Isn't that interesting? 
Now, I share that to set this up to say all of you are on a journey as well. And many of you've completed that journey to faith. You, you've, you've come to faith in Christ. And your story of coming to faith in Christ is as, as unique as you are. Right? There's so many varieties of, of the story of God working his miracle, of opening our eyes and helping us to see his love and his grace. And, and, and so all of these stories are, are, you know, are varied just like all of Jesus' miracles. I mean, sometimes Jesus touched someone who was you know, a child. Sometimes Jesus performed a miracle on someone who was old. Sometimes he would speak to them. Sometimes he would touch them. Sometimes he would spit. Sometimes just his very presence healed someone. Sometimes his very absence produced a miracle. And so Jesus performs miracles in so many, in so many ways. So think about your story. Think about how you came to faith in Christ. Maybe you, you came to Christ when you were a child at VBS or maybe a high school student at summer camp, or maybe you came to know Christ through your parents or maybe, you know, you were kind of wild in college, but, you know, after college, you got a job and kind of settled down and, you know, wanted to have a family and, you know, you have a kid and then that certainly changes your life. And then all of a sudden, God got a hold of you. Or maybe it was some crisis in your life. You know, if we went around, I mean, you would hear such a variety of stories. And so your journey to Christ is, is as unique as you are as a person. And so this journey to Christ is a process of slowly having your eyes opened where you see more clearly than you, than you ever have before. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I'll hear people every now and then say, uh, you know, they'll kind of lament their story of how they came to faith in Christ. They'll say, oh man, you know, I became a Christian when I was in, you know, eight years old and my story's so boring, you know, I mean, my story's not spectacular at all. And, and, and church, I, I just want to say, don't look down on your story of how you came to faith in Christ. You know, don't hold that in contempt. You know, don't say, well, you know, it's not spectacular because I wasn't on drugs and I wasn't a serial killer and all of this stuff. Church, praise God you weren't on drugs. Praise God you're not a serial killer. Praise God he saved you when he did. That he saved you from, a, from years and years and years of bonehead and destructive decisions. Praise God for that. Don't look down on the greatest miracle of your life, the miracle of Jesus coming into your life and opening your eyes that you see. You see, that's exactly what your testimony is. It's, it's exactly what your story is. And so we need to, we need to just look at it uh, with awe and wonder that the, that the God of the universe would move in our lives in such a way. Now, the question that I had as I was kind of prepping you know, this message today was, well, why does it take so much time? Why does the journey to faith take so much time? Well, the answer is, is is really pretty simple. The, the reason why the journey to faith takes to, so much time is because sin has infected every area of our lives. It really has. Sin has inculcated and infected and impacted every single area of our lives, whether it's relationally or emotionally, mentally, our ability to reason, intellectually, certainly spiritually, physically. Sin has impacted us in more ways 
than we can see. And it's not just that we, that we sin every now and then, you know, that we make dumb sinful choices every now and then. The, the reality is, is we are a sinful, broken people. The problem is deeper than just every now and then messing up. The, the, the problem is we are a sinful people. And what that means is before we came to faith in Christ, we are actually blind to spiritual realities. We can't see. And it's not, it, it, it's not that we just can't see. It's more insidious than that. It's we don't want to see God. That, that's how broken we are. It's not that we, that we don't desire God. It's the fact that we desire to be God. That's the problem. And, and the impact of that is that it blinds us and it deadens us to the things of God in such a way that we, we can't respond to him, that we, that we, can't, you know, we can't perceive him. We, we don't want to submit to him in that way. That's how pervasive the sin problem is. In fact, the Apostle Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 2.1. Let me, let me show you this. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But notice what he says. You were dead. You and I were dead before Christ. Now, church, can I ask a, a real profound question? What does dead mean? Dead means dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, death means like there's no, there's no ability to respond. There's no vital signs. There are no faculties. There's no motion. There's no thought. There's no action. We are dead to God. We, we are not able to perceive God and respond to God on our own unless he takes the initiative. And that's exactly what he did. And that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He made the first move to open our eyes. In fact, the only way we can respond to God is that his grace does a work within us. It, it's a regenerating work. It means to make, you know, when you think about regeneration, it means to make alive again. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit to make us alive and, uh, and, to, and to open our eyes to him. And you see this in Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Let me show, let me show you the other side of this. Uh, the apostle Paul writes this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he says, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So we didn't make ourselves alive he made us alive. We were dead, unable to respond, and uh, he made us alive. And so that work of regeneration was his work. Now, we respond with repentance and faith, but it's God's work to come into our life and to change us. It's, it's his work to come into our life and open our eyes, soften our hearts, and to change us. And uh, that's exactly what happens. Now, I need to make an important distinction at this point because I, I don't want you to be confused on this. Obviously, what I'm saying is the journey to faith takes time. But the moment of faith is instantaneous. 
See, the journey to faith in Christ, it takes a long time. It took me 4,745 days. But the moment of faith is actually instantaneous. So when God does his regenerating work, when the spirit of God is working inside of our hearts to soften us, to change us, to open our eyes, and then we repent, we respond with repentance and faith, that moment is instantaneous. Think of it this way. Have you ever wondered how popcorn pops? You ever wondered about that? Like how in the world does that even happen? Well, inside a little kernel is a microscopic uh, drop of water. In every kernel, there's a microscopic drop of water. And so you put it in the microwave or you put it on the stove, however you do your popcorn, and, uh, and you heat it up. And that heat goes right to that microscopic drop of water and it turns it into steam. And what happens is that steam turns into pressure. And the pressure gets so intense that, that it absolutely pops in an instant. And so there's a transformation that happens to the kernel. And so what seemed like a hard and impenetrable exterior at the beginning is now completely changed and transformed. And you know what? It's the same in the way the Spirit of God works in our hearts. The journey to faith takes time, but the moment of faith is instantaneous. And it's mysterious too. I mean, it's all a part of God's grace, God's work in our lives. And what he's doing in that moment is he heats us up. He's softening us. He's transforming us. He's changing us on the inside. And that whole process is called new birth and regeneration. So, so really, when you think about just the implication of that, uh, what this practically means is this. There's really no such thing as being sort of a Christian, there's no such thing as, well, I'm kind of a Christian. You either are a Christian or you're not. You're either dead or you're alive. And my encouragement to you would be, if you're not sure, by the grace of God, you can be sure. You can call out to that cosmic optometrist and let him open your eyes. And by grace, through faith, he will do just that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible that God works in us in that way? All right, so, so that's the first one. The journey to faith takes time. But there's a second change that I think Jesus is talking about here. And, and that is this, the journey of faith takes time. The journey of faith takes time. And what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is kind of a, kind of a big word. We, we, we don't hear it that much outside of church, obviously. But, um, but really, sanctification is, is just the process of growing closer to Jesus. In fact, it's the process of becoming more and more like him every day. Church, listen to me. Your purpose in life is not to make money, not to be famous, not to have a comfortable life, you know, not, not to achieve great things. That, that's not your purpose in life. Those are parts of life, but it's not your purpose. Your purpose in life is to become like Jesus. That's why you're living and breathing. And so God's agenda for you is not your comfort. God's agenda for you is character development. He wants to grow you into the image of his son, into the likeness 
of his son Jesus. That's, that's what he's really after. And so really, this is a process of faith that takes time. It just does. It just takes a lot of time. Now, let me, let me give you the foundation of this because I want to show you this right, right from Scripture, kind of, what we're, kind of what we're talking about here. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 3. 318. This is, this is an amazing verse. Now notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Now what is he talking about by you know unveiled face? What he's talking about is before we come to Christ we can't see. It's like our eyes are or our head is veiled. We, we can't see clearly. But when we come to faith in Christ, the veil is removed and we can actually behold God's presence and God's glory. So, and we all, he says, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, he says this, are being transformed into the same image, that's the image of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another. So, so what, that, what he's talking about there is as, as sons and daughters of God, as Christians, we are, we are growing every day into the image of God. And he says this, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit's empowering this, the Spirit's directing this, the Spirit is orchestrating your growth in Christ-likeness. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. All right, let me show you another one, all right? Just in case you didn't like that one, let me show you Philippians 1.6. You've seen this one before because I've shown it to you before. Paul says this, I'm sure of this. Like, I'm absolutely confident of this, he says, that he that began a good work in you. Now, what's that good work in you? Well, regeneration, new birth. It's salvation. It's coming to faith in Christ. He started that good work in you. He will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. It's a promise. So that good work that he started in you, he's gonna, he's gonna get it done. He's gonna finish it, I promise you. All right, then one more, 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is, or 1.8, this is, this is really a good one, I love this. Um, the Apostle Paul says it this way, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, wow, that is amazing. Now let's break it down. What does he mean by the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ? He's talking about the second coming. Jesus is coming again. So, so as we wait for the second coming of Jesus, and then he talks about the day of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end. And what's that? That's the second coming. So between now and the second coming, do you know what the Spirit of God is gonna do? He's going to sustain you guiltless through Jesus Christ until that day. Isn't that amazing? I, I just think maybe I'm the only one that's excited about it today. I don't know, but uh, it's, just, it's just pretty cool. So, so all of that to say, God's going to finish what he starts. He always does. Now, you know, at this point, I need to answer a question because we get this as a pastoral staff a lot. And, uh, and so let me, let me just kind of make this practical. We, we get this question quite a bit. Can a Christian lose their salvation? And, uh, and what I would say to you biblically is this. I would say with a resounding, clear, and emphatic, joyful, glorious answer, it's this. No. A Christian cannot lose their salvation. 
In other words, somebody that's been regenerated, somebody that's been born again, they can't become unborn. You know, they, somebody that's been made alive, they can't go back and become unborn again. And, 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 so, and, and so the reason why is because of what I just shared with you. God's going to finish what he started. The good work that he started in you, if he started that good work, he's going to finish it. That, that's, what, that's, what we, that's what we see from Scripture. So 1 John 5.11 says it this way. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Now church, notice he gave us eternal life. He didn't give us temporary life. He, he didn't say, you know, God gave us temporary life in his son. No, he gave us eternal life. How long is eternal life? Yeah, it's, it's, it's eternal. And, and so eternal life has been gifted to us in the person of the spirit. So, so if you're a son and daughter of God, you have, you have the life to come already inside of you. And that, can't not, that cannot be taken away. Now, I've been emphasizing kind of God's part in this process, that the journey of faith takes time. But I, I would be remiss if I, didn't, if I didn't point out that there's a part that we play in this process. And uh, we see this in Philippians 2.12, where the Apostle Paul, he, he talks about the part that we have to play. Notice, notice what he says. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence but much more in my absence. Notice what he says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with reverence, in other words. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, there's two people working here. God is working. He's working in you. And then what Paul tells us to do is to work out our salvation. So, so we need to work God's working in us and we need to work out what God is working in us. So what that means is God has a part and we have a part to play in our salvation. And that part that we play is a process and it takes time. It's kind of like this. You know, somebody that's had their leg or arm amputated, you know, they, they get a prosthetic limb and uh, they, they have to go through hours and hours of rehab to learn how to use a prosthetic limb or to walk on a prosthetic you know, leg. And it, it just takes a really long time. And there's nothing wrong with, with the limb, but it just takes a, a, a while for us to coordinate our muscles and our nerves in such a way that that uh, prosthetic limb can benefit us, that we can use it, that we can take, uh, that we can walk, that we can jump, that we can run with it. And uh, it just really takes a process. And as Christians, we have new life given to us in Christ. And it, it's a process of learning how to work out that new life. We've been given a new mind, the mind of Christ. We've been given, um, you know, new life. We've been given a new attitude. We've been given new eyes so that we can see. And it's just a process, a journey that takes time. And what's amazing to me is how much the scripture really speaks to this. So for example, in Luke 11, I kind of already mentioned this, the disciples went up to Jesus and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus taught them how to pray. And what that, what that tells me is this, that we don't automatically come to faith in Christ knowing how to pray. That's something we have to grow into. We have to learn how to do it. It's a process. And so if you don't know how to pray, the good news is you can learn. Or how about Philippians chapter four? 
where the Apostle Paul says this, I've learned in whatever circumstance, whether I have plenty or whether I'm in need, I've learned regardless of the circumstance to be content. Now think about that. What he's saying is this, he's saying that learning how to be content is a process. You, you, it takes some time. It's something you have to learn. Aren't you glad God doesn't kick us out of the kingdom of God because we have seasons of discontentment in our life? That what he's trying to do is, is teach us and coach us into how to be content in the circumstances that have been provided to us. Does that make sense? Is it, is it, is it God good to be patient with us over time? The apostle Paul in Colossians 1, he talks about, you know, that that we need to grow in the knowledge of God's will. Well, I know a lot of young Christians, they have no idea about God's will. And so over time, through a process, we can learn God's will and we can grow in it. And it's really good. Second Thessalonians 1, Paul says, I want you to grow in faith and I want you to grow in love for other people. Raise your hand if you have somebody in your life that's a challenge to love. Raise your hand. Yeah. We just kind of laugh at that. In fact, somebody is elbowing you right now because you're the one. Uh, what are you learning to do right now with God's help? You're learning how to love them. It's not always easy, but God's teaching you. Isn't it good that God is so patient with us? And so sanctification is a journey that takes Time. Some of you have learned this. Some of you men have struggled with anger over the years, and God has set you free from expressing that anger. You know, some of you have struggled with an addiction, and God has just liberated you from that addiction. But it took some time. It took some fight. And by God's grace, you were able to overcome it. Uh, some of you have struggled with fear and anxiety. It dominated your life. And, and by the grace of God, you, you're experiencing more peace and joy in your life than ever before. Now, uh, that's really the journey of faith, and it just takes time. Here's the question. How's your journey of faith going right now? Are you growing? Are you kind of stalled? Because I want to tell you, God wants you, God wants to do new things in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to change you. He wants to work in your life. Let me, let me just close with, with just some implications of this as we kind of think about this. As we think about the journey to faith and the journey of faith, the first thing that I would say um, as we kind of apply this is, is the good news is Jesus is the agent of life change. He, he's the one that brings real change. When you look at the miracles of Jesus, what's the common thread? Jesus. He's the one that brings life change. So what that tells me is none of us really can change apart from him. That's what it tells me. And that he is the source of our change. Now you can go down to Barnes and Noble and you can go in the self-help section and you, there's a smorgasbord of books that you can buy and you can learn coping mechanisms and you can do behavior modification. You can do that. But church, I'm just telling you that, that real life heart change only comes through the work of Jesus in your life and you saying yes to him. And, uh, and so only he can heal your hurts, only, only Jesus can set you free from your bitterness 
and give you peace. Secondly, I would say this, and this is really the best news of all, God is not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. So the work that he has started within you uh, is a work that he is going to complete. Where you are today is not where you're going to be tomorrow in your faith journey. He's going to finish what he started. That's why the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He authored your faith. He created it and he gave it to you. And then he's going to finish it and perfect it. And so what that practically means is if you're not dead, God's not done with you. He's got more that he's taking you through. And so if you went to college and you ever have taken a, had a hard, really hard class on your schedule and you're like, I need to drop this class, you can do it. And uh, you get an I, you get an incomplete on your record because you enrolled in a class and, and, you, and you dropped it and uh, you get marked with an incomplete. But let me just tell you something. Jesus doesn't do incompletes. He always finishes what he started. So don't be finished with what God has started in you. And let's take it one more step. Because I'm going to really start meddling at this point. Don't be finished with what God has started in somebody else. Because I think there's a temptation for you and for me to have you know, relationship with somebody that's maybe kind of strained or maybe just kind of hard. And what's, what's the temptation? The temptation is to give up on them and say, they'll never change. And let me tell you that if they are a son and daughter of God, God's not finished with them. And we don't need to give up on them because the business of God, the work of God in the world today is life change. So if God's not given up, we don't give up. And then third, here's the last implication. There's a greater miracle still to come. And we see this in 1 John 3, 2. This is just a tremendous promise. Uh, John writes this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, shall, what we will be has not yet uh, appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So at the second coming, we're going to be perfected and transformed into the image of Christ as God prepares us to live in heaven with him and the family of God and all of eternity. And so really good news to know your future in Christ is secure. Your journey with him is guaranteed. And that is really, really good news. Now, let me just kind of finish by saying this. Jesus entered space and time and died on a Roman cross. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. And all he wanted to do, what his goal was for the joy set before him, he wanted to secure and guarantee your journey. That's why he came. He wanted to do that because he loves you, because he, he wants to walk with you every day. And so I just challenge you, church, I challenge you to take a step. I, I challenge you to work out what God has worked in you. And if you're not a Christian, commit your life to him today because today is the day you can have your eyes open. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we give you praise. We give you glory because you make the blind see. 
And we thank you for how you've opened our eyes. God, forgive us for how we have allowed the world and our own selfishness, how we've let the enemy of our souls blind us to your goodness and to your glory. And I pray that you would, you would just send your spirit, that you would manifest your spirit in this place to do that work that only you can do, that you would restore vision. God, that you would change hearts, that you would give us a new mind, a new outlook, new life in you. God, would you work in this place? Will you give us grace to say yes to you? And so God, we marvel at you. God, we, we stand in awe and wonder that the greatest miracle in the world outside the resurrection is that you would, you would save us. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So God, thank you. And just keep it up and use us in your work in the world today. And we thank you and we praise you and all of God's people said, amen, amen.